the UDR cast is not affiliated and does not represent any 12-step fellowship. I, Bill Ward, the host of the UDR cast, will be sharing my experience and my journey of recovery. That does include, but is not limited to, the literature contained in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 Steps. Our guests will be sharing their own path to recovery and what has worked for them. The UDR cast encourages and supports all paths to recovery. Welcome everybody to the UDR cast. UDR stands for Uncover, Discover and Recover. My name is Bill Ward and I'm coming to you from the recovery capital of Canada, Calgary, Alberta. Here we are going to discuss everything recovery, different perspectives, different experiences, both with the people I know and with others from around the world. If you resonate with anything you've heard on this episode today, we ask that you share it with anyone who you think may benefit from it. If you have any questions or comments, please find us at billward.life and send us a message in the info section. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. If you are interested in more recovery content, you can find the buttons for the YouTube channel and other social media outlets on the homepage and you will be redirected to those platforms. We can recover. One person, one family, one community at a time. Step one. Right on. Here with uh, Mr. Jesse P. Again today, my good friend, talking about what the fuck are we talking about. Um, welcome, Jess. Good to have you here, bud. Yeah. So today, I think let's talk about, uh, well, well, let's talk about the steps. Whatever comes to us in step one with the substance designed for living, um, what's important for the newcomer, what's important for the guy who's not a newcomer, and just kind of share our experience with the data we've collected and our own experience. So, uh, you know, what are the number one things for the wet alcoholic who's brand new here that, that's never been here before? What, what, what are the key points for these guys to understand, in your opinion? For the wet alcoholic, for the real deal alcoholic, shake and dying of alcoholism, before it comes to me and before any success can be had in step one and in turn the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, I mean, this guy has to hit, this guy has to hit something of a bottom and that looks different for a lot of people. More often than not, it's not some Hollywood production, everything's blown, you know, because ideally if it's a Hollywood production, a lot of the times you'll find that it'll be the first Right, so this guy lost the wife, lost boom, 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 boom. That's the first time it's gotten that serious. The odds of him being that serious, you know, normally it's like, yeah, he lost the wife five years ago, you know, and this is just dragged on. From that point, he really thought that he was going to get it together three, two, five years after that. He gums in here. It's not some big you know, mission impossible, bombs blown up, whatever. He just comes in and he's worn out. And he doesn't have much to say. He doesn't really have a game plan. The book says that he'll be baffled. By the time he left AA or whatever, he thought he had the answers. He comes in, he's defeated. You know, a lot of the times, even if a guy asks me and he sees me around the rooms and, and whatever else and he understands the message that I give more often than not he already has some bit of readiness because he knows I don't play the game I don't fuck around I'll smack him around probably quite significantly and he's looking for that he's looking to, to be a little bit more serious so <clears throat> before you even bust into the material how do you vet an alcoholic that's for me in my life today that's actually more important than knowing the material but in turn, if you don't know the material, you can't vet an alcoholic. Roger. So in my experience, sometimes, like yourself, carrying the message consistently, um, we weed out the guys who are going to fuck around, the guys who aren't really willing, the guys who are here for ego or whatever the reasons, they're, they're just losing things that matter to them and they're not really here for the right reasons. 
um, those guys weed themselves out. So it's, it's pretty easy for guys like me and you to get the guys that are serious. Um, but every now and then I get a little confused. I'll do the proper vetting, the vetting that I do. And some of these guys are really good actors, like, or the alcoholic actor is the best actor there is. And they can manipulate even me to some degree with their desperation of what they really fucking are trying to achieve here. And they're willing to do everything. And sometimes I can't tell if they're actually willing to do everything until we get a month down the road, maybe two months even down the road. But what I've noticed here over the last few years, the circumstantial sobriety of some of these alcoholics, where they're losing the wife or they're losing the family, they're losing the job, and they think they're fucking hitting their rock bottom, but they're only going to stay sober on circumstance. They haven't actually gotten to that point where their life is fucking totally destroyed on the inside of themselves, and they're willing to do whatever the fuck it takes. And what I've found is the circumstantial sobriety like we've talked about it before, it only lasts a while. And we've talked about it before where you've said, it's just better to go fucking get drunk, go back out, go burn your life down so that you can fucking actually be willing to fucking live a new life, right? Mm. So, you know, that's one of the things I've seen over the last couple of years is the circumstantial sobriety that just doesn't work. And it sounds very sadistic when somebody hears me say just go get drunk just go fucking burn it down but the reality of this is is it's not sadistic it's almost like you ain't gonna get this and even if you do get it you're gonna live that miserable existence just being sober and you're missing the fucking point so keeping with reality you know the reality is is the big book is the program That is what we're talking about. You want to know what the fuck we're talking about? That's what we're talking about. What the fuck are we talking about? It's the black and white in that book. From that sprawls the program. From that sprawls the meetings. Everything is derived from that book. So that book says that you don't know you're an alcoholic. Go drink. You don't know. Of course, there's three ways. There's two other ways. That is one of the ways. You don't know, go fucking drink. What you're talking about though, is you're talking about, that's not the many. Like, th- like those individuals are definitely comparatively rare. Out of, you know, let's say 10 guys I sponsor, I probably won't get one. Out of maybe 25, I might get one. Because majority of them, it's all here, man. Majority of them, it's all on the sleeve, you know? Within like a couple minute conversation, I have a fairly good gauge. Of course, these guys, you know, people are people, are people. there's individuals, but not so much with the alcoholic. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, there's three temperaments. You have passive, passive aggressive, which most alcoholics are, and aggressive, right? And then from there, that's where your character defects lay. And then from there, I have a pretty good idea where we're at, right? Like, Even we were at that meeting uh, maybe about a week ago and an individual had stepped up and he had chatted about finding a sponsor and he said that out of the three sponsors, it was me and you that he was thinking of and both these sponsors scared the shit. All these people scared the shit out of him. And that's pretty typical. It's either a guy is scared of us or a guy says, fuck this, fuck this clown, you know, whatever, whatever. You know, he's so goddamn cool. He sits in the back with a collar and the, and the sunglasses, right? Meanwhile, he's dying, shaking, dying of alcoholism, right? So just that alone, that probably cuts out two-thirds of the guys who would have fucked me around. And now I'm, st- you know, I'm kind of stuck with a quarter of gauging on if these guys are going to screw me around or not. Before the material, that's where it is. So based on a gentleman like we're talking about, um, who we both know that's been around for fucking about three years. A couple years, yeah. Has tried the easier, softer way. You talked about... What the fuck are we talking about? The program is in the big book. But a lot of people, I think, think the program is at the meetings. Yeah. It's, it's through the fellowship. It's through my relationship with my sponsor. But no, those are all attributes of where it comes from. And it comes from the big book. So a guy like this who's tried these other methods, finally, you know hearing guys like us and staying right the fuck away from us, eventually he comes and he's like, okay, can you please fucking help me? Because what's happened to this guy? 
like in your opinion, what has actually happened over the three years of his recovery and him getting six months, eight months, and then burning it down again? What's happened? Well, what's happened is, is so number one, he's not looking for the program in the truest form. The guy who looks for the program has been smacked around a lot under the lash of alcoholism, right? So that's, that's a little bit of a different story. This guy's kind of like in the middle. You know, he's going to take a little bit of this, but predominantly be in the material. And he's done that for the number of years. And you could tell by the company the man keeps, right? Because that company wasn't really doing too much at the same time and screwing around here, screwing around there. And you witness that. And so you know if this guy doesn't level up at the very least who he's keeping around him, you know, odds are the guy's going to drink. And no sponsorship, I believe, in, in his well, past. Or... I don't even know if he was 12. I don't even really know if he was 12. I mean, guys will tell me that they've done the 12 steps. And, you know, like we go through doctor's opinion and he tells me what he knows. And we have a pretty good idea that he has no fucking idea what he's talking about. And we'll let that be known, eh? I let that be known uh, immediately. Because I don't want you thinking that, you know, you've gone through the 12 steps and you know a thing or two and... We go through the first number of fucking pages. You have no idea what we're talking about. Even in this chapter, you know, it's going to be set that you have no fucking idea what you're talking about. And that's why we're doing what we're, what we're doing here. Roger. And so we're not targeting this gentleman specifically. This is one of many gentlemen or many women all over the program. Around the program, let's say around the program. This is typical of many people around the program. They're not in the program. So these people, they understand, a lot of them understand they're powerless. They understand the powerlessness of the disease I've found. Um, and I always talk about, well, creator or God or your higher power can't be a theory. It has to work in and through you through the practical applications of the design for living, which is in the big book. But I don't think enough people understand the importance of, of the power that we need to match the sane thought not to drink with the insane thought to drink. And after that grace of God sobriety, and I call it grace of God sobriety, it could be two months, six months, year. You might even get a year or two out of yeah. the grace of God sobriety. And what does the grace of God mean? It means undeserved gift. And I say, yeah, you've got an undeserved gift because you've fucking done nothing really <laughs> to earn it. Yeah. And that window fucking closes. Why? Because self will bleed back into life and then we get restless, irritable, discontented. Why do they understand the powerlessness or do you even think that they do? They do I don't, I don't okay. think they do. Go ahead. I don't think, I don't think you know, like it, like it talks about their true predicament, Right? Many who are doomed never realize their true predicament. When I saw that, that stuck with, you know, like there's, there's some pieces of the book that you read and as soon as you read or it's read to you, it's fucking locked down. And it'll be, that'll be locked down with me probably to the day I fucking die, hopefully sober. But like even, and Actually, it's funny that you're on this, that you're on this track because when we were chatting before doing this, before doing this session, a couple minutes before you were chatting about step one for, you know, like the advanced member and step one for the newcomer and both of them, both of them have no fucking idea what we're talking about in regards to step one. Like I had, I can't tell you how many meetings that I've gone to with significant sobriety time and we're taught and there's a newcomer in the room. Nobody really has any idea what the fuck we're talking about. What, what the, the fuck, fuck are we, we talking, talking about? Like you always hear, you know, mental obsession, allergy to the body. Mental obsession, how? Like mental obsession as in it's craved? As in I think about it and it's craved? Because that's not what I know. That's not what the book talks about. The book talks about an insane idea like he had mentioned. This difference between the sane and the insane thought. Mental blank spot plausible excuse it goes by many names but it is the dishonesty that we found in that we find in a number of chapters right and what that looks like is i think about a drink okay and that drink can come in a hundred different forms the idea of it it could be a couple it could be i'm just gonna have one 
It could be a bottle, a Mickey. Could be a case. Sitting on a patio. That's it. Well, that's the plausible excuse, right? So, so in, in Jim's story, it's clearly defined as whiskey in the milk, right? And why Jim's story is so good is that that's not plausible, his excuse. The excuse, the, the plausible excuse or the insane trivial excuse is that it can't hurt me on a full stomach. Once those two thoughts consummate, right? Once those two thoughts marry, they come to fucking, fucking drunk. That's it. That's it. That's all it is. And for me to get to those two thoughts, a couple hours, bro. Maybe a fucking hour. Maybe a couple minutes. But once they consummate, I'm drunk. Right? And so when a man is fully beyond human aid, the man that's actually, that the big book is written for is not that man necessarily. It's written for the man that as soon as he thinks about a drink, is he's drunk. There's no plausible excuse. There's no insane trivial excuse. The thought of a drink is drunk. And so when we get into the mental blank spot and all that other stuff, that like in Fred's story, he exhibits that, but that's not the constant. You know, that, that could happen for a guy who's not fully beyond, right? Um, but it is the rule for a guy that's fully beyond. And that's the real fucking deal. That's the guy you see on the side of the street. You're like, fuck, I don't know if he'll ever get sober. Well, I'm here to tell you that that's that man, that individual. That is who this, this book is written for. That is who this fellowship is developed around. I mean, it gets watered down to the point... You go to certain meetings, you're looking at like high-class drunks. Maybe they're alcoholic, maybe they're not. And then all of a sudden, a real deal alcoholic comes in. And he's like casted out like, no, we got, a, we got an image here. Uh, sorry, Jerry, going to have to get the fuck out of here. Uh, we'll give you five bucks, send you on your way type of shit. But meanwhile, that man is the program. He's drunk. Can you get him out of here yeah. until he sobers up, <laughs> For right? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was funny. About uh, two months ago, th this happened. There's a guy in front of a meeting falling down, passed out. He wanted to be in the meeting. And no one was really paying attention to him and helping him. And I went over and I grabbed him and I brought him into the meeting. And I sat him down in the chair, right? He wasn't coherent. He wasn't going to hear anything. Yeah. But in the same breath, I think it's important that this guy is in the meeting if he wants to be there. Not just for him, even though he's not going to learn anything. It's for everybody oh, else yeah. to see why we're fucking here. Yeah. Right? And that's very important. But uh, back to kind of what you were saying with the, uh, the two thoughts. You know, the thought of drink and then the, the plausible excuse or the insane idea to pick it up. Also in step one in the book, it talks about at a certain point, the alcoholic has no effect of mental defense against the first drink. His defense must come from a higher power. So I always hear in meetings, you know, I play the tape forward. I know what's going to happen when I pick up the drink and I don't pick it up and all this kind of nonsense, right? It's totally contradictory to what the program actually says, what the book says. And I do believe that the effect of mental defense can work here and there. It might even work many times. It might work a hundred times in a row, might work a thousand times in a row. Like grace of God type stuff. Yeah where, yeah, where the person thinks about the drink and they're like, no, yeah. I know what fucking happens. But the book says at a certain point, but I don't know when that certain point is, which is stresses the importance of God because God does know when that is. And if he's working in and through my life, he can match the insane idea for me to drink with the same thought not to drink. And then the thought is actually fleeting and soon lost. But what I think happens in this program is the ego, like we've talked about before, actually attaches to the idea of God. And then the effect of mental defense actually works a number of times in a row. And maybe even calling into your sponsor when you get into that state of restless irritable discontent and it eases that fucking discomfort for the minute, but you were still relying on a, on a mental defense. But sometime down the road, that won't work. And the mental blank spot could happen, you know, maybe in the morning you wake up, we've talked about this. I'm not drinking today. Thank God for keeping me sober. But because God's not actually working in and through their life, it's just kind of a theoretical thing. And the circumstances actually help propel them to their sobriety, i.e. fellowship, i.e. meetings, i.e. mental defenses, i.e. let's go for a walk, 
i.e. let's throw on some headphones and change my fucking thoughts. But eventually, that won't work. And the person has the thought in the morning. It's the worst idea they ever had. But by four or five o'clock in the evening, because over time, nothing's been really medicated with God and the fucking defenses quit working, this person eventually drinks or drugs. And now they're on the spree and there's no telling how long the spree can go. Do you get what I'm talking about? Yeah, I mean, you know, the big book explains away a lot of stuff, you know, and I had spent, especially in step one, a, lo a lot of my recovery going through that information. Not, not I'm on the john and I'm reading it from a theoretical standpoint. I fucking think that that's nonsense. I have always thought that that's nonsense. I don't read the book on my own. I'll tell you that right now. I've never done that in all my recovery. If I am to read the book, it is with another man. Me too. Okay? Now that might be from a sponsorship standpoint, or that might even be me and you from a little bit more of an intellectual standpoint, right? Though he raised the defense, it would one day give way before some trivial reason for having a drink. And just that did happen and more, right? That's it. That's all that needs to be said on that. Says everything you, it will one day give way, right? That might be fucking tomorrow. That might be a couple years down the road, whatever. But it will give way before some trivial reason. Absolutely. You know, even in um, Roland Hazard's story, a certain uh, American businessman, he could give himself no satisfactory explanation for his fall. And in the start or in the latter half of there's a solution, it really tells you all you need to know in there. It really tells you all you need to know. And so what I do in, in, that, in that part, there's around four things that I have a guy underline. But in their hearts, they really do not know why they do it. Once this malady is a real hold, they are a baffled lot, right? Um, by the end of that, it says, or perhaps he doesn't think at all. And that's fucking the end of that, mm -hmm. right? All of that is gearing up, or perhaps he doesn't think at all. You know, perhaps we could give you a whole bunch of explanations of what this man thinks him. We could really theorize it. We could really bust into it. But what happens if this fucking guy doesn't even think? He's just drunk. What happens then? What happens then to all your theories about trauma and solve the trauma and solve the fucking alcoholism, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. What if he doesn't think, bro? All your theories fucking out the window. It's like a, it's like a scientist refusing to um, perform the experiment lest it prove his pet theory wrong. That's the same thing. Medical fraternity does the same thing, especially in regards to what we're talking about now. What do you mean the medical fraternity does the same thing? Like because they're focused on this other aspect yes. of what this illness is, they actually don't really want to look yes, at the 100%, truth. Yes, 100%. I mean, if you go to the medical fraternity and you've been sexually abused or you are of a different ethnicity or, you know, your parent died when you were younger, fuck, blessed be, come on in, come on in. Uh, not an issue. But if, you, if you're white and you are from suburbia and you have absolutely no traumas in your life, they're like, fuck, we don't. We don't want to fucking go to AA. <laughs> we don't really want to, you know, deal with you. Because the idea simply is you solve the traumas, you solve the problem. But if you have no traumas, then, then what then? Then what? No, you're, you're an anomaly. We're not going to deal with you because you're going to prove this pet theory of theirs. They've been peddling for decades, for fuck's sakes. And if it was something of a solution, you'd think you'd see some fucking results on it. So based on, so we practice the program. Our knowledge comes from our experience of us being addicts, alcoholics, working with many hundreds of addicts, alcoholics. And then as the recovery community is very broad, like it's broad. There's a lot of people in recovery. To me and you, recovery is based out of the literature that's contained in the big book. The black and the white expanded on 2.0 style in the 12 and 12. But within the community of recovery, there's a lot of people that just don't want to drink. They want to change their lifestyle. Maybe they're having trouble at home with their spouse and they maybe drink a little too much. So we get these people kind of coming into the program 
And our message that we carry, it's not really for them, right? It's, it's really not for them. But those messages... But those are the ones who get the most offended by the message. Yeah. Which is, which is, you know, the other side of the coin of what you're saying. I wanted to interlude with that pretty quick, though. And they're also the ones that are helping infiltrate being the drop of dye in the water, watering down the message. Yeah. So that the real message actually looks like it's not the message. Yeah. And as we kind of listen in the meetings, there's people directly saying things that are totally contradictory to the book. Yeah. That I just go, what the fuck are we talking about? Yeah. And then as I'm listening to some of these shares and people are like, fucking right on. Good, yeah. Good, good job. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like it actually is kind of irritating me because it goes contradictory exactly to what the fuck the illness is. Yeah. And then I get asked to share or and maybe have an opportunity it. and I'm fucking in there like yeah, a dirty yeah, shirt, yeah, right? Sure. And it almost <laughs> seems like I'm cross-talking, cross-sharing, but all I'm really doing is trying to bring what's real in the book to the forefront so people fucking get it. But then like you say, those are the people that ha- or take most offense to it. And then over time, over time, these other people who might be the real deal actually get attracted to the watered down message. But after time, like the gentleman who was afraid to come and ask me or you eventually down the road, this guy's fucking coming, fucking saying, please, will you fucking work with me? Why? Because the message we carried was so consistent and it never veered off of the fucking deal. And what we're actually doing in the sharing, I always find is I'm actually predicting your life. I'm predicting your life over and over and over. And the big book is where I get it. I'm going to predict your life two ways. One, if you don't take the solution, this is what usually happens almost always. And if you do take the solution, it can go anywhere you fucking want it to. Right? So I don't really know how you can segue into that. But What I noticed, so kind of going off of what you're chatting about before, watered down message, the die in the water, because it sprawls, it sprawls very quickly. And, you know, in the era that we live in today, there is no societal shame, right? So like there was a time, you know, like you would divorce if you were to divorce, there's societal shame around that. If you were to do, do certain things, there's societal shame. And I'm not here to say that one way or the other is wrong. You know, I think maybe some of it could be positive, some of it a little bit negative. So in the stripping of a lot of these taboos, one thing that's very popular is therapy, right? I think the downfall of our program was treatment centers getting involved. Me and you had chatted about that many fucking times. And I think that that's where it started. Treatment center jargons getting involved. But I don't think that that's necessarily what we're talking about. What I see is the program is no different than a diet. Is no different than a, uh, you know, the new trend is kale salad diet. Is no different than all the c- celebrities going to therapy. And that's a part of being your best self. And, you know, we're going to mix, oh, you know, the program, there's meditation in there. Oh, that might be a nice little, little piece that I put into my life. And I wake up early in the morning. I do a little yoga. I go to a meeting, you know, when it's meditation. And that's what I think. At least one third of the meetings you go to is individuals that treat the program like that. It's not the real deal. Because our message, one of two people. It's for the guy who has a couple of years going to fucking blow his brains out because of alcoholism full blown. Or the real deal wet alcoholic. That's the message. If you don't, as far as I'm concerned, if you don't fit. And even for myself, like my message is geared toward the man is who I look at and who I talk to when I share. But because of a lot of the shit that I share is right from the big book itself. Like I will say, you know, I, I don't recite a lot. For me, if you could recite the book, good for you. As far as I'm concerned, it's a cum shot in the tissue. Anybody can do that, man. Anybody can do that. I spend enough time. I could. It's when you take the paragraph and you could mold it into your own words and you could take chapters of the book and you could bring it into a conversation with this guy being none the wiser. And when you do that, when you take your experience, when you're able to do what I just described, you're able to mold your own experience of the book. That's where you could hit anybody, men, women, whatever. They all come up to me. I really need to hear that or or whatever, whatever. 
right? And, and that's kind of what I'm talking about. But the, the share is not meant for the individual who's just there to fuck around, for lack of a better term, who's just there for a little bit of meditation. Because a lot of people, you know, like you're talking about in, with this individual, you know, with that water down, with the dye in the water, that's easier, man. That's more comfortable. You're telling me all I have to do is go to the odd meeting and say the serenity prayer and, and Jesus Christ himself is gonna come down and touch me and it's all gonna be good and we just get together, we hold each other's hands, hopefully we don't drink that, have a good cry. That's all I have to do? Oh, fuck, yeah, I'd rather take that. I'd rather take that than really having to look at myself, really having to look at my character, really having to trust some sort of a power greater than myself. I'd rather do the fucking, you know, jerk off Alcoholics Anonymous than the real deal. But also too, if I'm not the real deal, if I'm a heavy drinker, dude, I don't mean, you know, I believe not only is there heavy drinkers guaranteed in the program, that's a period statement. I believe there's also moderate drinkers, dude. I believe that there's people that, you know, like that, like that one song, one toke over the line. I believe that there's some people that had a couple of drinks one night. And I believe that there's meetings in this city that are, you know, meant to facilitate those individuals. And that's great. I don't go to those meetings, right? I go to the meetings where the fucking real deal alcoholic goes, right? Yeah. And I, and I believe, like we said, the watered down part is, you know, this is a social club. Maybe you had a fucking bad week of drinking and you were a moderate drinker and it got out of control and your husband or wife said, you got to do something. So you found a meeting yeah. and found the love. And now you're continually going to a meeting and you're building a fellowship. Yeah, that was 1978. And uh, now you got fucking 48 years of recovery. And now people think that you know what the fuck you're talking about. Right. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit here. <laughs> Way back at the beginning Doctor's opinion, step one. It gives me the solution. Here's my take. The solution is laid out right there in the first two pages. Interesting. The first thing it says is, um, as part of his rehabilitation, he commenced to present his conceptions to others and pressing upon them, they must do likewise with still others. This is the basis of our rapidly growing fellowship. And what that is talking about is, I take somebody through the book. Yeah. I help fucking other alcoholics. I help people to get a spiritual awakening over and over and over and over. This is part of a lifetime deal. Yeah. Flip the page to the second page of the doctor's opinion. It says it right there. We work out our solution on the spiritual and altruistic plane. What is the spiritual component in your opinion? I'll give you mine quick. So, and it's more broad than this, but I'll give it to you in a nutshell. What is the spiritual component? Well, we have some spiritual disciplines laid out in the, in the big book. It gives me clear-cut directions on the meditation, on the prayer. It gives me numerous prayers in there. And it gives me step-by-step -step ways that I can achieve this meditation and whatever. But also, I think a huge part of it is the looking in self. Looking at self. Finding out what are the things in me that I'm doing that are actually hurting people, hurting myself, and trying to use this power to help me discard a lot of this self, basically itself. And to me, the spiritual is kind of all of these things combined, the prayer, the meditation, the looking in myself, which is the self-examination, and with the will of God and mine aligned, trying to discard a lot of these things that I don't even know but I will know through self-examination and working with somebody who's done this before, i.e. my sponsor or God-centered 12-step pillars that are willing to fucking help me. So that's the spiritual aspect. Then it grows and it grows and it grows. Switching to altruism. To me, the altruistic plane, by definition, the word altruistic means unselfishly devoting oneself to the welfare and happiness of others. So again, I'll just repeat that. Altruistic means unselfishly devoting oneself to the welfare, happiness, and well-being of others. When I first start doing this program, when I start being of service to whatever degree I am, I'm not doing it altruistically. I'm doing an action of altruism for my own benefit because I don't want to fucking die. And I've been told to by my sponsor, and if I'm listening to the big book, it tells me to do that. 
because it says in step one, my very life is the next problem drinker. Depends on my constant thought of others. How may I help meet their needs? That fucking really disturbs my ego when I first start doing it. Mm. But I think it's really important to do it anyway. And I always say it doesn't matter what you think or feel because you're going to think and feel all sorts of things. When you're new in recovery, it's about what you're fucking doing. And the act of altruism is important because I need to stay alive. But through this act of altruism done repeatedly, consistently over days and weeks and months, it actually switches gears. And it switches a gear to I start understanding and realizing, holy shit, doing this makes me feel good. And then I realize, okay, I feel like shit today. I'm going to fucking do some acts of altruism because I selfishly want to feel good. So both in those first two stages, the motive is self. One is fucking I want to stay alive. It's like, and it's humiliating almost. The second one is I, I like the feeling that I've been getting from it. So I'm going to do it. I don't really want to do it, but I want that feeling. So there's humble through some pain and I'm going to do it anyway because I want what I want. I want to feel good. But then as you keep doing that middle phase consistently and persistently over time, what happens is it fundamentally changes the human being on the inside. And this, the acts of altruism that I'm really talking about is actually working with another alcoholic, like it said on the first page. Through the fundamental change of the being inside of me and opening my heart, essentially, I get to the place where I start doing this shit actually altruistically. And the book says altruistic. It doesn't say, you know, half-ass altruistic or fucking desperation acts of altruism. It says we work out our solution on the spiritual and altruistic plane. And I think the goal is, is to get to this higher level of consciousness where you're just doing these things without thought. And it's just a natural disposition. Someone needs help. I'm fucking helping them. Someone needs help. I'm fucking helping them. And then I'll close it with this in the chapter, uh, you know, step 11 in the big book, it talks about our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is cleared of wrong motive. And you can't really intellectualize what the higher plane is. It has to be a commitment to growing and following the directions in the book and to actually want to be of service. Because when you look at the actual literature, it says we do this stuff to be of service to other people. And eventually you will be of service if you follow the directions and you will be working on the altruistic plane. And there's no doubt about that because I've seen it over and over and over with the people I've worked with, the people you've worked with and many other people. But I also see a lot of people fucking stay at the middle level or low level because they just want this for them. And they want them to feel good. But that's not where the solution is. That's not where the fourth dimension is. And if you're wondering, I think, if you're in the fourth dimension sometimes, you're not in the fourth dimension. Because the fourth dimension is an experience. And God or creator is the experience. And to get to know God and creator at a deeper level, I think you've got to get to know your fellow man through the altruistic action that turns into altruism. What's your take on we work out our solution on the spiritual and altruistic plane? And on the first page, uh, working with another man is part of my recovery. So <clears throat> even e like even what you've described is not because the program itself, if you look at it from the view of the information being presented, right? Because one of the differences between me and you when we take a man through the book is uh, it's very boxed. Like I let the book unlock itself, right? Where sometimes you'll present some things and you know, we make the joke cat out of the bag. So your take on it, what you've just said, it's kind of like, you know, uh, 2021 looking at, you know, what somebody did in 1960 and having a 2021 take on it, right? To where, my take on it is a little bit more as the information's being presented with what we were just given, maybe what we're about to be given, at least at the very least in this chapter, what are we talking about? And so, especially in that chapter, you know, Bill Wilson will gear things up and he will gear things up to be hammered home. A lot of the times, a lot of the fluff that you read is nothing more than a, than a buildup for the main points, right? And pr probably a very good example. My favorite example of this is Jim's story. Everything other than the italics 
is a buildup, means fuck all, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if this guy got mad at his boss in the morning, doesn't matter, doesn't matter, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. What matters is, is he went there not wanting to drink, he sat down not wanting to drink and the fucking guy drank, right? That's, that's the story, that's what we wanna hear, right? So like even in this, the story in the doctor's opinion, what the main, what the main story is, is the fucking guy's letters right, from the medical experience, from a medical doctor, to be able to produce a gut-level concession in these men, a concession to the innermost self, and lay these men out to a uh, conversion experience. Much like Bill Wilson had been laid out by uh, Dr. Silkworth, Roland Hazard by fucking uh, Carl Jung. So in saying that, the information of the sponsorship in that present moment makes little difference as per the information at that moment. But what I do though, because I have to impress upon them that they must do likewise as part of my own recovery, okay? I have to present my conceptions to you, right? Then I have to impress upon you that you must do likewise with still others. So it's, it's very powerful because why the fuck are we even together, right? Me and this guy. I am together with you because I am presenting my conception to you. At this very fucking moment, I am impressing upon you like the book tells me that you must do likewise with still others. So before we chat about your fucking problems and you individual and yada, yada, whatever, whatever, we're chatting about the deal. We're chatting about what the fuck this is actually about. This isn't, I put a whole bunch of time into you so you could fuck off. Thanks for the information and go live your life. I give you the information and I have you underline it in such a way. I describe it in such a way and how I will take you through the book is to benefit you, sure. That's, the, that's almost a side benefit, to be honest with you. That's almost a side benefit. I don't have him underline shit that makes him feel good. I have him underline shit that he could take. If I die tomorrow and he's on step four, he could take a guy up to fucking step four. That's the purpose, right? Altruistic plane, very simple. I haven't thought about it much more other than this. This is me helping you from a spiritual, for spiritual value without, without any pay from you to me, without any transfer of goods. That's... You know, from a spiritual component, like outside of what I described, looking at it as a 12-step member, multiple years sober, yada, yada, enough guys, you could definitely get more involved in those things. Where do I need God? I need God in the first number of chapters, at least in the yeah, first number of chapters, I need God to match sanity to that insane thought. That's it. Fucking period. Nothing more needs to be talked about. In, in that time, if the guy's beaten up enough, he's, you know, he's, he's, he knows he's fucked. He just doesn't know how fucked he is. We present him the information. I give him my own experience. Certain targeted things we read. If he's at a, a gear two feeling bad, we're gonna fucking kick that into six, right? We're gonna make sure he feels real desperate, right? And in that time, from a practical standpoint is where we chat about this power, right? This power is no longer in my life needed directly, you know, to match the sane to the, to the insane thought. That just comes now. That is a, that's, that's working. That's operating now. Now I found so many other areas to bring God in, obviously, to my life. But try and sell that on a new guy. He doesn't give a fuck. Okay, back to the altruistic plane. So when, when I started doing this, when you started doing this, for fuck's sakes... You weren't doing it as the definition of altruism says. That's you weren't true. unselfishly yeah. devoting yourself. Mm -hmm. You were doing it out of pure desperation because you didn't want to fucking die and you knew this was your lifeline because of all the fucking times you've never done it and now you finally realize you got to do what it says in the book and then you start doing it. Yeah. Out of selfish motive. Yeah. Because you want to stay alive and you need what you need. It's all selfish. It's not altruistic. It's just the action. And then eventually you started realizing, fuck, this shit's changing me. It's making me feel good. You'd get into a place of despair or fucking morbid reflection or maybe you're angry. And it's like, pick up the phone. I'm fucking pissed today. 
pick up the phone. Let's find someone to help. So now, now you're going out to help somebody because you want to feel good. And you've connected enough dots by looking back at the history going, okay, when I do this, it makes me fucking feel good. But you're not doing it altruistically still, as per the definition. But you're gaining an altruism. But eventually, you started doing this because it was the right fucking thing to do. That's where the fucking gifts lie. But most people, I don't think, will take it to that point. A lot do. Like, I'm going to say 5%. (laughs) But, which is not really much. But... That's where, that's where the solution lies. And that, like you said, God is now, you don't have to think about God in your life. God is now just working in your life because you've done what it says in the book. Yeah. And getting to know your fellow man in an altruistic level actually connects you closer to God. Like a lot of it becomes grooved, eh? Yeah. Like I, <clears throat> you know, I didn't really start, like I, I had... Probably 10 sponsees by the time we ended up working out of town. Like I had sponsored maybe 10, 10 guys, roughly. And I'd say after 25 guys, maybe 30 guys, like the shine really fucking wore off. Like it's not like I'm working with these guys and, you know, a lot of connections were like, it's like the growth was pretty fucking rapid because after the whole sex thing, dude, I'm sponsoring like 10, 12 guys at a fucking time. And that's because I absolutely burnt it down to the ground. Like I'm working with a guy right after that. I'm parking the car, sleeping in the back seat, nowhere to go type of shit, right? So because of those, that circumstance of life, I was able to sponsor fucking a lot of guys in probably a, a two year time. And in the middle of that, it just became grooved like there wasn't too too much thoughts around it you know it wasn't really connecting the dots of benefits and you know oh my god you know i hope jerry gets well blah it was really none of that dude it was more like fucking blinders on this is what needs to be done that's it not much more discussion my very life was on the line i knew that you know, I had to fucking sponsor guys. And if you remember, you know, with newer guys that are, that are 12 step, just getting into it, fucking, you know, we'll, we'll go down <laughs> often. I don't say this as much as I used to. We'll go down the fucking value village. We'll pick you out a nice skirt, put a little lipstick on you, throw a prostitute you out there. That's what it is. I remember there was a meeting that we went to as a couple of years back when we were still saying that. And, uh, Bill ends up saying that in the meeting. And it was fucking crickets. There's certain things because the big book study. I don't. I maybe it was. I think it could have been the big book study. And uh, when you predominantly work with men, uh, me myself, I only work with men. That there's gonna there's some things said between me and another man that maybe shouldn't be said on a wholesale basis. The first number, at least the first big book study, for sure. I had to be pretty fucking vigilant on what I was saying because, you know, very easily some fucking crooked shit could come out of my mouth and I'm getting burnt on it. (laughs) I remember you getting burnt on it at our uh, second or third big book study and you had mentioned something and then that one woman stood up. I remember that. What happened there? I kept on saying men. So there's two times that I remember. One of which was... Because I sponsor men, the message is for men, that's it. I'm not going to tool it around. and Because this, when we do the big book study, it was never meant for what, what we would say, at least what I would say, was never meant for a wholesale basis. It was me essentially letting these people in, in conversations that have gone on for years through many men. And it was all the same. And of course, with another man, I say men, that's the end of that discussion. This woman had gotten up and said a couple of words and said, oh, by the way, uh, you know, there's women in this room. Can you please tool it to, you know, include us? And kind of actually threw me off my base a little bit and was able to get back. Never came back after that though. After set her piece, never came back. And then there was another individual where in the sex conduct, in the sex ideal, 
These men aren't very privy to, but what happens is, is I'm a full-blown sex addict, been recovered for four years. And I give them every single guy. I mean, they think it's all unique to them and tooled and polished or whatever. I give them my sex ideal. And I've been doing that for fuck the last four years. The guys that I work with, it's all the same, it's all the same sex ideal. Safe and sound sex ideal. And in there, if the individual, if this woman, let's say we're talking about a man, if this woman is in the program, she has to be over a year, has to be 12 stepped, relationship with God, has to be sponsoring other women, and can't be in an emotional disturbance. And when I said emotional disturbance, all the women fucking sprawled up. Hey, whoa, hey, hey, well, this, that, and whatever. And then I had to describe it a little bit emotional disturbance is, you know, a family member dying, you know, was just married, divorced. These are examples of emotional disturbances because they could cut those four things I said. They can make the relationship weak with God. They can make the sponsorship. They can weaken the individual's program to where they can be susceptible to some predatory behavior, right? So, but a lot of guys will get like a, a four out of five and call it good. But it has to be five out of five. For it to be God, for it to be ironclad, God. One of those pieces are missing. It's, it's no dice, man. Well, she's got two out of five. No dice, bro. And then I'll say, listen, we both, you do what the fuck you want to do. But we both know God's not involved in this. We both know. Where can we go from here to try to wrap up this step one conversation? Um, you know... In the chapter, more about alcoholism, it talks about uh, the man who tries to control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. And you get a lot of people kind of coming in and what they say is, just me thinking that I might have a problem, I think I have a problem. Which I believe is a really good take. If you're thinking you might have a problem, you probably do have a problem. Are you the real deal alcoholic? Maybe, maybe not. So the other day I get this uh, email on my website. And uh, this guy it describes to me what his experience is with his, his drinking. And I'm like, okay, bro, here's my number. Give me a call and let's discuss it. So this guy calls me. He's from Kansas. Um, and what I do is I do, I will do some recovery coaching if the individual does not want to go with the conventional method, blah, blah, blah. We'll work out a system and I'll fucking help this guy out. So what I did is he's like, can you help me find out if I'm a real alcoholic? So I ask him probably 20 different questions. I get his answers. We spend 45 minutes on the phone and eventually I find out my opinion because this is my opinion. I don't really think you're the real deal alcoholic. I think you have a drinking problem. You may be the heavy drinker. Um, I believe you probably should look at this because once you cross the line of powerlessness, you, you cannot cross it back over. And most people will not be so self-aware at the point where you're at, where they think they might have a problem. They usually got to burn it down pretty good. You're a, you're a Christian guy, family. You have an important place in society. So it's a really good idea that you fucking really probably explore this a little bit. Um, and, and maybe you can get a handle on it. Maybe you can keep drinking. I don't really know what's best for you. But, uh, so there's a lot of this kind of, kind of, so this guy's trying to control and enjoy his drinking. Is he alcoholic? No. Um, what can I do for him? Not a fuck of a lot. Does he, does he want me to help him? Not really. He asked me if he could call me back in a week or two. Because when you talk to a guy like me or you and you've never really looked at this, the amount of information I hit him with is fucking like blew his mind, right? And he's like, holy shit, you just said so much shit and I don't really know what I'm thinking or what's going on, but I need to chill out for a week or two and, and think about this. And I said, yeah, dude, fucking I'm always here for you. Fuck, even if you just want to chat for a month every now and then, I'll fucking give you the grace of some chats. But uh, do you run into many of those kind of guys that... Uh, you vet, they may have some of the symptoms, but then you realize they're not the real deal alcoholics. And if you do, do you work with them? Uh, or, I mean, early recovery, sure. You know, um, I don't run into anything shy of the real deal alcoholic today. 
I don't get guys like I, I just actually had a guy ghost me about two weeks, maybe a week ago at a meeting and uh, fuck, I haven't had that happen for two years. I don't deal with that kind of shit. Um, have I worked with non-alcoholics? Oh yeah, for sure. And that's part of like you talked about earlier. You got to cut your teeth. You got to learn yeah. the ropes early. So early on somebody new who's new to sponsorship has to go through these trials and tribulations they got to deal with the bullshit the wasted time the fucking ghosting and all this kind yep. of shit as you uh sharpen your message over time understand the real deal alcoholic and understand there's not really nobody's really unique yeah you start to fucking hone your your vetting and then hone the procedure and the message gets stronger so now you're not running into that problem what the fuck are we talking about? But even, you know, like even as we were chatting about before, like in regards to, you know, impressing upon them that they must do likewise and still with still others. I mean, you know, in the original manuscript, as you know, step 12 was not just step 12 in the alcoholic was especially alcoholics, which is to say in 1939, you know, as I'm branching out, like kind of one guy sober by the book, wherever I am, wherever I happen to be, I am sorting out alcoholics, but I'm also working with his family as well. There's, you know, there's a lot of people who are not alcoholic before, like cutting the teeth now is just alcoholics, guys fucking around with your tribe. But back in 1939, it wasn't necessarily alcoholics, it was fucking anyone. You know what I mean? It is acting into the stream of life wherever the fuck I can. A lot of people believe that that's subject to the program. And at, at first, you know, that's where you could get, you know, easily mainline to do it until you get, you know, somewhere in society, until you have maybe a reputable career, until you're in a relationship, you're, you're kind of involved in more facets of life. You're going to be involved with more people. And in turn, you're going to have more opportunities to pack into the stream of life. But, you know, you burn it down to the ground, you're living on the fucking streets, like, now it's going to start in the program. Well, exactly what you're saying just ties into the altruistic yeah. comment that I yeah. made earlier. 100%. Because 100%. in the original manuscript, Step 12, what it says is, uh, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of this course of action, we tried to carry this message to others, especially alcoholics. Well, what's the message? The message is God. The message is love. Love and tolerance of others is our code. Love is love. Like, fuck, what explanation does it need? Tolerance, as described on page, I think, 19 or 23, and there's a solution. Other people's shortcomings, viewpoints, and respect for their opinions is an attitude that makes us more useful to others. So when I get to this place where I can respect everybody for their opinion, their shortcomings and whatever, and understand everybody is just who they are, and I have this true love and tolerance from other people, our real purpose, the book says, is to fit ourselves to be a maximum service to God and the people about us. It doesn't, but it does say in Tradition 5 that my primary purpose is to carry this message to other alcoholics. So I think Bill does a great job in using my deficit as a fucking alcoholic addict to get me to the place of maximum service to all people and it doesn't matter who the fuck you are and then you're working in true altruism in your day-to-day -day life whether that's at home with your wife and your kids you're at work you're at the store like it's just a, the way of life right so altruism again fucking at the forefront but even in saying that like you know this message so you know, how do I present this message? This does not mean that I grab, you know, I'm, um, I'm at the CRT station with the watchtower knocking on people's doors, that type of shit. It's not what we're talking about. What the fuck are we talking about? It's actually a demonstration of action, demonstrating these principles. And you, you, uh, you know, as much as anybody else would know, like even in your own family life, right? Where you had tried to impose right? And that didn't work. And then you left it alone through action of years. Now, you know, look where we are now with that. It's fucking amazing, right? So it is the demonstration of this consistency and that altruism that, you know, really turned people around eventually. Because, you know, I walk into, you know, a scenario and I start lipping people off and, and imposing, you know, God or AA. And you know how many people in my life know I'm in the program? Very fucking few. 
it is only disclosed if, uh, you know, if I feel that it could bring some benefit. Like, I don't go into fucking work functions and, hey, I'm in AA and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And fuck, I can't tell you how many guys have done that to me. Where, you know, I, I know them from the program. We get, next thing you know, they're telling fucking this individual I'm in the program and this, this, that. And it's like, dude, nobody fuck. You know how many people fucking care? No one cares. Not one fucking person cares. And now they don't know what to say to, oh, good for you. Oh, good for you. Uh, yeah, I should really look at my drinking. Uh, um. Now it's all awkward. Yeah, yeah, 100% it's awkward. It's fucking, it's so goddamn silly. It is the selfish, self-centered aspect of the alcoholic. That, that That's the badge of who they are. And now I'm going to be a counselor and I'm going to be Captain AA by the hat and have a cape. And it's like, dude, just pr practice spiritual principle. What's that beyond six? Yeah, shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? Like, what, have you been in the program for a fucking month? Shut up. You know? The fuck? The fuck are we talking about? <laughs> what the fuck are we talking about? What the fuck are we talking about? Okay, we're going to wind her down with that. Uh, I think on our next episode, and this, I guess it's going to be a bit of a series, we'll uh, we'll bust into step two, and, uh, and we'll go from there. But for now... Uh, Thanks, Jess. Glad to have you here. And uh, what the fuck did we talk about? What the fuck are we talking about? Thank you for tuning in to the UDR cast. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. The viewpoints and the opinions expressed today were solely of the individual sharing them. If you resonated with this episode, please follow us and share this link with anyone that may benefit from it. Please visit us at billward.life to see everything that we have going on. We can recover. One person, one family one community at a time.